Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends, Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. Good day and welcome back to the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast. I am Bill McBride, your host with my good friend and co-host, Andrew Martz. Andrew, how are you doing today? Doing well. Looking forward to today's episode. Today's episode is going to be a little bit of a different format. So we thought we'd try something a little bit a little bit uh, more rapid fire. So every January, we see reviews of the previous year when it comes to current events, celebrities, concerts, all forms of culture. Uh, as a financial podcast, though, we thought we'd look back on 2020 in this rapid fire format, highlighting 20 items from the year 2020 and do it in 20 minutes. So for those of you without your calculator, that's one minute per item. I think we can do it. What do you think? I'm going to take the over on, on that bet right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, but we're going to give it a try. I'll so, give you three to one odds. <laughs> <laughs> I would take five to one and then I'd, I'd be trying really hard depending on the amount of the bet. But uh, again, you know, so we tried to provide up to the minute research on behavioral finance. So we're going to start off each minute with where the stock market was on the first day of the month. However, we're going to round some numbers in the interest of time. Uh, At the end, we're going to make a point that I think everyone can get behind, but we're going to wrap it up after we get to the numbers and events that shaped those numbers. So we will do all 13 month beginnings. So including January of, uh, of 2020 and up to up to the minute of January 2021. And then the seven big events of 2020 and how they relate to your money. So, of course, there's 365 stories for this landmark year, but nobody wants to reflect on 2020 for 60 hours. So, 2020 in 20. Buckle up. Let's go. Month number one, January 3rd, 2020, started off the year. The Dow Jones is at 28,634. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose to a record high of 28,621 on December 26th. So, Prior to the year starting in 2020, we didn't know what COVID was. We were all just fresh off a a, a Christmas Dow Jones high. Uh, 2019 happened to be the largest calendar year point gain in Dow Jones history. Okay, So the market was up 22%. Now, that's not the biggest percentage gain in history for a year, but certainly point gain, right? Because we're at that 28,000 roughly mark. Uh, we could see that the point gain was was a lot higher. Now, on January 3rd, tensions between the U.S. and Iran increased after uh, Soleimani was uh, killed during an airstrike. Uh, and Dow hit a new all-time high on January 21st for 29196 uh, to, Andrew- to understand 2020, it's so important to remember the mindset we were all in heading into the year. So as you alluded, 2019 was a phenomenal year across the board for all indexes, the Dow, the S&P, 
And every investor was really making great money. Bonds were up almost 9%. The US Barclays aggregate was up 9%. So you're talking about a phenomenal year for investors. We're heading into that with a terrible amount of excitement and exuberance. And yeah, there was some, you know, some things happening in Iran and some, some conflicts, but the market blew it right off. And as you said, hit an all-time high by the end of January, at almost at 30,000. So, I mean, things were good. We were rolling. Yeah, and, and really think about think about where our mindset was in terms of the market and behavioral finance at that point, right? We didn't we didn't think of other mitigating factors of what's going to drive the market except for politics, right? We we were we were really centered on okay, what's driving the market? You know, the, the average investor, I would say, is, is focused on what's in the news as affecting their wallet. And really what we saw in 2019 was there you know, was a lot of turmoil politically, but there, it just wasn't affecting the market. Like we said, we had a, we had a, a landmark year. So, right. And, and we roll into February, right? So we had the, the Irish elections on February 9th and, you know, investors in Wall Street were paying attention to things happening in the Eurozone and, you know, what are trade uh, relations looking like with other countries. And we're looking at what we'd call our, our typical variables as it relates to economic health, both globally and here in the US. February 12th, the Dow closes at another all-time high, 29,551. Two days later is when we first start to hear about this thing called coronavirus. China starts to talk about there are there are now medics who are fighting this this disease. They've been infected. You know, now we're hearing there's there's tens of thousands, 50,000, 60,000 cases of coronavirus globally. And it hadn't really hit the shores of the United States yet, but you started to see this buried on the third, fourth, fifth page of major news outlets, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, things of that nature. And for and for the most part, the market had no reaction to it, right? We've we've seen this a million times before. There's, you know, some virus or something, uh, you know, in in Asia or Europe, and you know, usually it just fizzles out. So, you know, SARS, swine flu. I mean, we we have seen it, and the markets essentially kind of plowed through those those pandemics and handled right. it with relatively, you know, little disruption. And from a from a cultural standpoint, certainly people were aware of it. Maybe it disrupted travel for a week or a couple of weeks, but nothing that really disrupted normal life. And then March of 2020. And well, you know, the same on February 29th. And I remember I was, uh, I was taking a trip to uh, Miami and I was kind of in the middle of it, like right at the end of February. And then we signed a peace deal with the Taliban in Afghanistan. And that was, kind of news buried under the the whole impeachment thing that was going on at the time. And yeah, we hit March and then March 2nd, Dow Jones at 26,703. So that's that's not an altogether insignificant drop from 28,399, but or well, 20, 29,000 when it hit all-time highs, 29,005 in, in right. it's Yeah, February. it's still a significant drop, but we, you know, we see these 5, 6, 7% drops as a, a normal course for the market. But March 11th, the World Health Organization declares the coronavirus, coronavirus a pandemic. So that's when the market hits the fan, right? Panic selling, and, and this is, I think, 
really, really March, we're going to spend more than a minute on, right? Because this is the month that separated the, the panic sellers and the investors and, and the algorithm triggers. So, you know, I would argue, and, I, and I've seen statistics to support this, that a lot of the trading that went on in the beginning of March when it was declared a pandemic was algorithm triggers, meaning that computer programs had limit orders to sell if a stock dropped below 10 or 20% off of its, uh, off of its, let's call it trigger point. That followed by, you know, your average investor getting in and saying, wow, I'm seeing the stock market go down 10%. I want to get out. I want to get out. And that just snowballed, right? Yeah. Well, so March was, I would not argue high frequency trading has certainly increased volatility, which is just the range or the speed of change that uh, happens and occurs in the market on a daily basis. And so March, March was a record setting month in the markets, right? So that was the fastest bear market in the market's history, the fastest bear market. It was the largest one day gain in history. The Dow had its worst first quarter since 1987 when you had uh, Black Monday. You had 14 trading days between March 25th and March 20th that made the top 20 list for the largest intraday swings. I mean, this it, the, the roller coaster that we were on during a 30 or 40 day period in March was, and I'm not, I'm not overusing this word, it was historic. Yeah, well, did you see the did you see that chart with um, the largest point swings and percentage change days of the Dow Jones uh, of all time? Right, mm-hmm. the top ten, the top seven gains of all time were in March of 2020 or right. beginning of April, and the top seven of the top ten point losses of all time were also it's like you just said, right? It's in they're all within that 14 day period of of March. So uh, I, I recall well, the, I mean there, there's again there's mind staggering statistics about this. So if you look at single trading days that were either up or down more than two percent. 2020 had 44 of them, 44 trading days throughout 2020, where the market was either up or down more than 2%. It was the most since the financial crisis, 2008 saw 72 of them. So certainly significantly more, but 25 of those days happened in the first quarter. So you're talking about just, you know, an absolute literal roller coaster ride if you're an investor. So I, I want to jump ahead with that concept to kind of get to what our point is at the end, which my point's going to be, it just doesn't matter, right? Even though we felt in March that the world was coming to an end, um, the fundamentals were sure to change. And we'll get to that. We got nine months left, right? Fundamentals changed in the US economy and the stock market, but not as much as we thought while it was going on. So, you know, there's winners, of course, and there's opportunities in every uh, in every situation like this. And the month of March zooms up 22%. Uh, Amazon was flat, but we start seeing uh, whispers of home offices being built, right? People talk, starting to talk a little bit more about working from home, about Wayfair. We don't know how long this is going to last. And we certainly, we get used to these 700-point daily swings in the Dow Jones. Fast forward to April. Yeah, well, let me just touch on something. It does matter. 
I would disagree to say like, it doesn't matter. It matters. But the analogy that I generally use is when you're on a roller coaster, like when you're on an amusement park and you're on an actual roller coaster, the time to change seats is not when you're on the ride. It's when you come safely back to the gate. That's when you decide, do I want to sit in the front row? Do I want to sit in the back row? Or do I want to exit this ride? The time is not in the middle of the ride. That's not when you're unbuckling and saying, I don't like the front seat anymore. I want to go sit in the back seat or somewhere in the middle. So it, it matters and it matters significantly, not just from a financial standpoint, but what was happening in our world. But I think the point is that's not the time to start making big dramatic decisions when chaos is happening it's, it's why it's so important to enter seasons like that with a plan. You see a lot of people like getting ravaged on Robinhood and other do-it-yourself because they're just chasing the top performing stocks. They're just chasing whatever was recommended and they don't have any set of rules to determine how am I going to make it through good times and bad. The point for them is just to make money. Your purpose for investing should be beyond just making money because if it is just to make money, you're probably going to lose when you experience things like this because they're impossible to predict. Right. So bring us into into April. Impossible to predict, but we get to April, right? And then we see those opportunities. If you did have cash on on hand, or if you did panic sell and getting back in and looking at something to get back into, right? Now we got Zoom up 144% year to date. Home offices are going through the roof, right? Wayfair is now up 70% year to date. And we're looking at, you know, historically, April 15th, the week of April 15th has been just a, a monumental week uh, of disasters in history, right? The Oklahoma City bombing, the Titanic sinking, Lincoln assassination, Columbine. Now, the Dow at this point. And, and everyone's taxes are due, usually. Not last right. year, but usually. Yeah. No coincidence that tax day is that week, I wonder, right? So the Dow is now at 23,500, halfway to full recovery, only three weeks after the low of 18,000, which was, well, we hadn't seen the low of 18,000 that we saw on, was it March 13th? Um, March 23rd, right? We hadn't seen that low since the presidential election in 2016. So now everybody's ears start to perk up, right? Because you go, well, geez, that's four years ago, right? But again, in just three weeks, we see a recovery halfway to, to where we were at an all-time high. Very peculiar. It's, it's just mind-boggling because at that point, you don't know where it's going, right? You know, the, the momentum traders started thinking, wow, this recovery is full steam ahead, 6,000 points in three weeks, it's going to keep going, right? The pessimists among us go, well, it was down at 18,000, um, you know, I, and we're going to see some fundamental changes in the economy. Uh, you know, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying a full recovery anytime soon. We start seeing unemployment numbers, and that's really where things got a little crazy, right? The unemployment numbers started jumping into the double digits at this point, which I think kind of spooked everybody because that is a, a fundamental statistic of the long-term economy, the long-term effects on the market and that this this crash could have had. So fast forward into May. May was interesting because now we're from we're dealing with COVID-19. We're getting a lot of 
different types of communication. They, they seem to be changing almost weekly, right? Wear a mask, don't wear a mask, stay at home, only socially distance. Some people are essential, some people are not. We feel like, hey, now we're heading to the summer. We've quarantined you know, in most parts of this country for a substantial amount of time. And there's, there's some light at the end of the tunnel, at least that's what we feel like. And then the end of May, we experienced the tragic death of, of George Floyd. And this country began to speak up its voice as it relates to social injustice. And throughout the summer months, we saw not just so much fear and uncertainty as it relates to our health and well-being, but now we see this social divide happening inside the United States of America in what was a, already a very contentious uh, election year, both at the national and the state and local levels. So let's focus for a minute on, on the financials of this. The markets continue to recover. So from April 15th at a, a level of 23,000 to the end of May, now at 25,000. So we see the markets continuing to increase despite what we're seeing happening across this, this country. Brings us into June. Right. And, 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 and the peculiar thing about this is, and, and maybe I'm going to rephrase the, the end result here of it just doesn't matter. It's the news cycle being dominated right by the social injustice going on in America, the political climate in America, overshadowing the market right? Overshadowing the economy. And the coronavirus effect on the economy seems to take kind of, um, it, it just goes unnoticed or or it's so unprecedented that people don't uh, even consider it. So it, it was almost like in May and June and even, you know, all-, all Well, I think, so I think people considered it, but the reality was that you had small businesses shutting down, people struggling to get their funding from the government, right? If you're a, a local barbershop, if you have a small construction firm, you know, you're waiting on receiving monies. So though the market was recovering, and if you were an investor, it was good, it didn't right. feel equal across the board, which I, I think only fueled the tensions of what we were feeling, right? right. COVID-19 yeah. is affecting different demographics. Social injustice is, there's now lines in the street on which side do you stand on? Uh, and then now we have this economic recovery, which isn't felt by everybody. By the way, it wasn't felt by the market equally as, as well. We'll touch on that in just a moment. So that's where I think that we see the disparity between all things happening in the country. It wasn't that it was overshadowed. People knew it. They just like, great for them. I don't feel it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, um, it applied to some and not to others. Right. And, and if you were, if you were in the market at that point, you know, you could be fully in and uh, trying to capitalize on the opportunities, or you could just be with your financial plan that had been in place for years and you're, you're staying on that roller coaster in the middle car. Right. And you're doing fine right? at that point, but it's, it's just not dominating, uh, not dominating the news. And furthermore, now we've got, you know, good weather all around in the U S and I think everybody's optimism was, was geared towards, Hey, this is a virus and this is going to diminish once the summer months come, right? We're getting a little bit of COVID lockdown fever and that's starting to lift a little bit. So now we've got June, the Dow's at 25,475, uh, Tesla up 125%, Zoom up 215% year to date, uh, July 
25,734, kind of still around the same spot for June and July. Uh, the Dow is up 900 points in a, in a month. Like we said, we're getting used to these 700-point swing days, so nobody really notices. You know, August, same thing. We get to the end of August, or I'm sorry, beginning of August, and the Dow is up 26,664. So that's 2,000 points from the previous month. Now, August, we typically see a, as a month where I don't know if this still applies, but it used to be that all the traders went to the Hamptons, right? And so August was always a slow month in the market, but um, not this year. And I think it's because we had some ground to make up. At this point in September, the Dow, if we're using that as our measuring stick, which I don't think is always the, the most equitable measuring stick, the Dow is still not up at, at all time highs or, or even back to where it was at the beginning of the year. Uh, but other parts of the market, the, the NASDAQ and the S&P are. And it's why you saw a lot of excitement. Now we're, we're getting closer to the election. And despite all of the general or usual election fears, the market's saying, hey, we're in recovery mode. Again, a big, big, big component of that was our federal government printed $6 trillion of stimulus. So we were I mean, we were well capitalized by the by the central bank heading into this. So the market is flush with cash. And I think some would even argue the market should have probably been up higher even quicker uh, with that sort of you know variable coming on. Interest rates at at still at all-time lows, tremendous amounts of cash being poured into to the marketplace, and still a lot of cash sidelined, right? So a lot of you know, you look at like money market balances and the cash reserves of banks, just tremendously high throughout this this season because people were still sitting on the side. A lot of people, a lot of people waiting for the recovery, and it, it's a it's a it's a very peculiar mindset when it comes to uh, a mar- any market downturn. The the average investor's mindset of I'm going to wait till it gets back to where it was, right? I don't agree with it. Mathematically, of course, it doesn't make much sense. But from an emotional standpoint, I see it. We've seen it. We've seen it You know, probably seven times a year, right? Where the market dips 10%. Somebody says, I'm getting out. And then they're, I'm going to wait till it gets back to where it was. Um, so, and that's where we are roughly in September, right? We get to uh, 28,645 on the Dow. Go to uh, October. Uh, you know, election jitters are, are are starting. You know, we hear this every four years, right? People people think that if there's a Republican or a Democrat, it's going to be the next president. That it's going to have a some kind of vicious effect on their portfolio, and they make moves beforehand. Um, COVID starts a resurgence, right? So now we start to see the numbers, unfortunately, tick back up uh, with COVID cases around the world, and especially in the U.S. and COVID deaths. Now, October 23rd to November 6th, we've got an, the election in there in the, in the middle of that, and the Dow swings 2,000 points and uh, up. You know, so elections do that. So that's nothing new. Uh, you know, 2,000 points on 28,000, that's, you know. You mean basically 2,000 points down? 2,000 points. Um, no, between October 23rd, 2,000 points down and then back up. Got it. Right. So that's just just in the election week. 
right? So now we're sitting at November 2nd, uh, 26,925 on the Dow. Uh, we've got a steeper COVID surge and the Dow makes one of the largest monthly point gains in decades in the month of November. Uh, returns to the all-time high from February. So, you know, we went through that election. We'll get, we'll get, uh, we'll get to that point uh, towards the end. And now we're at December, December 1st. Santa Claus is wearing a mask. We're looking at a different kind of Christmas. We just had our, you know, first quarantine Thanksgiving. A lot of talk in the news, of course, and rightly so. More about that than, you know, what your portfolio is doing on a day-to-day basis. And we get to the tax loss harvesting part of December. So very peculiar in, in any year. Uh, what happens with investors at the end of December, right? So if people made gains, they start to take some of those capital gains off the table. If they have losses, they start to take those losses uh, and incur them in their portfolio to offset the gains. A lot of that happens. This year, we didn't see it so much, right? Because we started where we finished. Well, no, we didn't. <laughs> oh, we, we finished where we started, right? So we're still at you know twenty eight thousand. So the so the, the Dow the Dow was up what just just under seven percent for the year, and you know for twenty twenty. So relatively modest gains, you can call that just slightly below historical averages. The S and P five hundred, which I generally think is a be- better measuring stick, was up eighteen and a half percent on the year. The Nasdaq was up forty percent on the year driven predominantly by technology stocks right so you alluded to you know the zooms and the teslas and all of these all of these technology based companies that are benefiting from a an entirely not only work environment but just cultural right so back to school in 2020 the majority of the country is doing virtual homeschooling for their children. Teachers are teaching via webcast, Zoom, or YouTube. Children are getting laptops and, and tablets, and they're, they're learning at home, right? Parents are now figuring out how to do their day job and monitor their, their children's education. And all of this has the election, we can talk about the election. We'll get there in a second. But all of what happened with the election and, and continues into to 2021, distracting from the point that the markets had another phenomenal year by and large. I mean, I wouldn't call it we started, we ended where we started. The markets were way up, way, way, way up. Bonds, again, you look at the US ag. US ag was up 7.5% in 2020. That is three to four points above like it's historical average. So if you're in a 60-40 balanced portfolio, right? If you're just in a basic retirement asset allocation portfolio, you just had two tremendous years if, and this is a big if, if you stayed invested. If you stayed invested and depending what you were invested in. So, you know, great point, right? We're talking all this time about month to month about the Dow Jones. The Dow Jones is 30 stocks, right? 30 set stocks. The S&P 500, is a market cap weighted index of 500 stocks. A lot of those stocks are technology, right? So S&P 500 does double what the Dow does year to date. And at this point, this is kind of the the tipping point in November, December, where we see the results of those tech stocks from the resurgence or the, or the, um, the comeback that started after the low of March 23rd. Right. It's it's almost unnoticeable until the summertime, but certainly you can differentiate what's a Dow Jones kind of stock 
and what's an S&P stock and what's a NASDAQ stock come November, December, right? You look at your portfolio and you go, okay, well, you might've had the foresight to say, hey, I'm going to put all my money in NASDAQ stocks, right? Um, but like you said, if you had a, a 60-40 balanced portfolio and you just left what you had in there, you know, certainly of the 60% in equities, some of those are going to be going to be tech anyway, just by the very nature of how the S&P is constructed, right? Yeah. And I don't call that foresight. I call that speculation. It's not foresight like, oh, tech is going to do, let me put all my money in the NASDAQ. Like it's just speculation because nobody knew that. And again, the general philosophy I think you and I both generally preach is you want to have a well-balanced portfolio designed for an individual's risk tolerance and objectives. It's not about, let me find the best stock. Let me pick the Zooms. Let me do this. Like That's all well and good. But the reality is if you had a well-balanced portfolio, risk-adjusted for what you're trying to accomplish, whether you're in retirement, just preparing for retirement, or starting that journey 20, 30 years old, making sure your portfolio is designed to know it doesn't matter what sort of market conditions we enter. I know that my portfolio is prepared to accomplish the things that it needs to from my lifestyle, whether that's to provide me income, to give me a little bit of growth income, or just to to get as to maximize the amount of growth I can get over a long period of time. Right. And and, and part of that portfolio, fortunately for many people at the end of the year, did involve some tech, right? So if if you take if you take a year to date total return in 2020. You can you can blend that seven percent from the Dow Jones with the forty percent from the Nasdaq, and you're 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 at least double digit return, right? Even even in a mildly conservative portfolio, right? So let's get to the uh, the big seven. I think we're past the twenty minute mark, aren't we? Big time. Oh, you five bucks. Yep. Good stuff. All right. These are the seven items that define twenty twenty, and I just want to hit it rapid fire and get your thoughts on how they affected our behavioral finance. So number one, impeachment number one of Donald Trump, December 18th, and the Senate acquits Trump of these charges on February 5th, 2020. What do you think? Did it affect anybody's wallet? Well, I mean, hindsight, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? So we can confidently say no, because in that time period, we saw the markets continue to to accelerate. Now, again, it may not have if you were distracted by the news cycle and tried to react to the speculation of, of news. But if you remained invested, if you were not timing the market, but giving yourself as much time in the market as possible you did fine between December 18th of 2019 and February 5th of 2020. Number two, coronavirus. Did it affect the market? Did it affect your behavior in the market? Yes, unequivocally. Of course, I don't know if there is a calculator out there for how many times the word unprecedented was used last year, but it certainly was just that. Unprecedented was used an unprecedented amount of times. Yes, Yes, it uh, certainly was. And so coronavirus impacted all of us and it impacted everyone in different ways. But as it relates to the economy, right? And I'm not just talking about the stock market or one index. I'm talking about the real dollars and cents here. I'm talking about jobs, livelihood, the amount of people who went on furlough, small businesses, the way that it impacted our spending, right? The way it impacted our saving. It changed the actual economics of not only the country, but 
of each and every person's household, right? With very few exceptions. Should it have changed your behavior? Again, we have the benefit of, of 2020 hindsight, right? So the dangerous part of that though, Andrew, is it affected people's mindsets when it came to their investing in the short term, people made some of the mistakes that they, that people always make, which is there's this big event in the news. I'm going to sell, I'm going to buy, I'm going to try to time things. But I, I think some people were affected positively by that, where they said, Hey, I'm going to try to time things. And they were successful. Right. So they were successful in saying, you know what? I'm going to sell my GE stock or my Coca Cola stock and I'm going to buy some Zoom. I'm going to buy some Wayfair. I'm going to buy some things to kind of seize the opportunity that this market downturn has provided. And while I think that's a great thing for 2020 for those people in their portfolio, I think it can be dangerous with their mindset going forward in their portfolio to think that there's going to be these kind of opportunities every once in a while or every year. So this was the year of the TikTok investor. And the TikTok investor were anywhere between 13 and 24-year-old kids giving investment advice to millions and millions of people at once because you found opportunities in these isolated stocks, Peloton, Zoom, all the work from home, you know, companies, Netflix, and all these, these tech companies that had a phenomenal year. And investors, I would say, haphazardly investing into it, some, not all, but some, and now saying, well, this is easy, so we can just do this every year. And again, it, coronavirus impacted everyone because I don't look at it as investment decisions siloed or compartmentalized away from other financial decisions you're making. And this changed the way we spend, changed the way we saved. For many people, it changed the way that they earned money. So you can't say, oh, somebody sold their investments or made this decision in March when everything was going down. Again, historic bear market because their small business was on the line, right? They had children and mortgages to pay. I get what you're saying, right? It's not, you know, there's always things, but this was different. Yeah, yeah, I agree different. And we also saw that same swing in number three, unemployment, right? So unemployment was three and a half percent going into this. Uh, In January, 14.8% unemployment in April, back to 6.7% in December, which is, you know, it's a respectable number as historic unemployment goes, right? Certainly three and a half percent was the cream of the crop, but such a huge swing. And, and, you know, frankly, if you had told me unemployment was going to be below 20%, Back in March, I would have said you're crazy, right? Uh, you know, we we all thought it was going to be long and drawn out. Now we can we can make the argument that how they calculate those unemployment numbers um, needs to be looked at more in depth, right? Who's who's actually looking for a job? Who's getting the checks? Who was able to go back to work and didn't? And who claimed unemployment and longer term? But you know, at the end of the day, the unemployment numbers didn't have too much of a long-term effect. I mean, that remains to be seen, of course, but if we're talking, uh, let's say, intermediate term of the past nine months, not too much of an effect on the the market. Uh, Number four, the George Floyd protests. So the George Floyd protest started late late May and went throughout the summer. Uh, Again, going back to our point back from May, uh, I would say by and large, they didn't have much effect on the market at all. Correct. It was a significant cultural event for this country. I don't know how big of an impact it had financially. 
Number five, Eddie Van Halen passed on October 6, 2020, very near and dear to my heart. And that day had absolutely zero effect on the news cycle or the stock market. Yes, this did not have any impact financially, and it did not catch a lot of the news cycle. Presidential election, it's a little different this time, right? So presidential election, November uh, of 2020. I was a little surprised by the lack of movement in the market with all the apprehension leading up to the election, all the chaos afterward that we're, you know, we're still going through and, and might even go through as, as a society for, for a while. I, I was and continue to be a little surprised about how it hasn't affected short-term swings in the market. I was not. A couple of reasons. One, the investors and markets were by and large already news cycle fatigued by the time the election has has come. It was a very contentious, to say the least, campaign. And again, what you cannot discount is six point six trillion dollars supported by the Fed or by our central bank into the marketplace. So that there was so much cash that like whether you thought debate one was a complete and total clown show and debate two was better, it, none of it, like the elections by and large didn't have that much of an impact because that, the markets had so much money. <laughs> there was just so much money flushed into the economy that yeah. of course it, it wouldn't have had that big of an impact. How will that play out long-term? That remains to be seen. That's another issue to talk about for another day. Short-term, no, of course it, the election didn't have any impact on the market. Turned out it just didn't matter. Number seven, was it a good year? Andrew, was, 20, was 2020 a good year? And we're speaking as behavioral finance gurus here. Well, obviously, it's, 20, it's, obviously 2020 sucked. Well, it's a loaded question because based on the evidence ported over the last 20, 25 minutes, you know, you say, wow, well, the markets were up and you know, all this stuff happened. But no, 2020 was not a good year. And it was a very segmented year. So again, while some people, you look at like the top 10 CEOs and their compensation for 2020, right? Elon Musk made a half a billion dollars last year, while there was tens of thousands of other people losing jobs, right? Again, 14.8% unemployment. December, 6.7, doubled from where we started in the year. That means double the amount of people now do not have jobs that began the year with jobs who are seeking full employment. So it was a very, very, very segmented year. And I think it's a very loaded question. So I'm going to defer. I'm going to agree with you. 2020 sucked, period. You know, if we're talking about the stock market, we can look at our portfolios and go, wow, geez, it, it, we ended up up on the year in our portfolios. If we stayed the course, we made some good moves or even if we made a few bad moves. But overall, we, we've got to say we're moving on 2021. And with that, we will leave on an optimistic note here. Dollars and sensibilities, 2020 in 28 minutes, maybe? Or so. we'll, we'll have to see in, uh, after post how this cuts out on, the, on the, the cutting room floor. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Every single Friday, new episodes hit. Share, like, comment, please. We love you guys' feedback from all our listeners. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening.
Bill McBride and Andrew Moss are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.